0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Blake is the CEO at Flippa, which is the number one marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. In the interview, Blake shares valuable insights on effective leadership and navigating change. He emphasizes the importance of transparent communication and customer centricity. Blake's decision-making process involves actively listening to customers, developing a strong gut feel, and then using data to inform decisions. He manages trust by focusing on what is controllable, celebrating small wins, and maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Hi, Blake, and welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast.
1: Hi, Sumit. Thanks for having me. It's nice to connect.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here. To begin with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Blake Hutchison. I'm the CEO here at Flipper.com. Flipper is a worldwide marketplace to buy and sell online businesses and digital assets. And I've worked in a number of varied tech-based organizations organizations like zero which is cloud accounting software Nile Guide which was a travel planning startup based in San Francisco and more recently prior to Flipper I worked in e-commerce specifically travel running Luxury Escapes which was Australia's fastest growing business at the time and one of the world's fastest growing online travel agencies so a vast and varied experience across different categories different industries and different business models, which has been super interesting.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And as you look back at your journey, can you reflect on maybe one or two difficult choices or moments that were very crucial for you to get where you are today?
1: Yeah, I think one of the more crucial decisions was moving from an established corporate entity into my first startup. And I began my career at Lonely Planet, which is a global travel guidebook publishing business and a well-established brand, a big or bigger company, and certainly corporatized. And I was living in San Francisco. I'd been there for about three years and I was... In a unique position where lots of travel-based startups wanted to speak to Lonely Planet, and I was the, I suppose, the gatekeeper or the entry point to Lonely Planet in considering partnerships and/or strategic ventures with potential startups. And so that gave me exposure to a bunch of really smart tech founders who were doing interesting stuff in the travel tech space. And as a function of that, ultimately, I started to think about whether a move from a corporate type environment to a startup type environment would suit me. Ultimately, I moved to a company called Nile Guide. But that decision between what is a corporate, well known, established brand, an outstanding job security, a good salary, to going to be a, a founding team member of a no name business with very little traction and no revenue to speak of. That was a really substantial moment in my career because it gave me the confidence to dive in deep. It gave me the confidence to take risks. And it gave me a huge amount of experience, learning, and a different approach to leadership, which you need in different organizations based on their size, based on their stage of business based on the type of staff members that join those companies based on the skill sets you need. And so that was hugely influential in, in who I am today and the decisions I make for myself as a career, as well as how I also speak to my staff around their journeys and their professional development opportunities.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I would like to go a little bit deeper into that, right? So how did your view about yourself change as you made that switch? Because as you very rightly said, there is a lot of questions, if not doubts, when you are making a change like that. So your own questions as well as other people's worship, right? Because other people also question, why are you doing this? Why are are you putting something good at risk? And after going through that journey, it's also an emotional experience. How have your view about yourself as a person, as a leader shifted? And how has that impacted your leadership? If you take it to the present moment, how does it play a role today?
1: Yeah, I think in a few ways. One, I learned to love innovation and speed of change. And so some people are really good in innovation-based environments where change is a part of the culture and the frequency at which things change is a part of the culture and a part of growing. And so that fits certain people well, and it fits others not so well. In my case, I learned that was a really good fit for the way that I worked, for the way I make decisions, which is extraordinarily decisive, for the way I want to learn, which is through making mistakes, through the data that you are exposed to, and through learning from customers based on their experiences with a product. And so you learn to become super adaptable at rapid speed. And I've learned a lot about how fast businesses can actually do something should they be willing to go through customer experience-based learning and decisive decision-making-based processes. And so not only did it change the way I think about making decisions, but it makes you more resilient because you have to go through more failures to get to success. And I think that's helpful for everyone.
0: Yeah. Thank you for for adding that. I think change is a key component. I think especially In the world that we are living in, nobody can avoid change, whether they are a leader or not. So coming to change, can you share a little bit on the last few years of of Flippa? How has the journey been? And also, what is your vision for the near-term and long-term future?
1: Yep. So I think the journey has been super interesting in the sense that we were globally distributed before COVID. And we've always had to know how to onboard our staff, how to communicate transparently and openly how to use technology to get the most efficiency out of our comms and the way we think about change management and that's always been a constant for us making sure that our staff are across what we're doing why we're doing it and how we're going to do it and we don't always do a good job at that because sometimes there's just so much going on but you have to have a discipline around at least trying to get better at not only onboarding your staff but taking your staff on an, on a day-to-day journey as you go through mass change So we've always, and I in particular, have encouraged the team to get better at transparent communication on an always-on basis with their teams. And I think that's a really good part of leadership to think about transparency as a way to get buy-in. The second thing really relates to the way we think about the business. And it's gone from what has probably been a more hands-off marketplace to a more managed marketplace. And that's because when you're buying and selling digital assets and online businesses, if you're selling something, it's quite an emotional journey. If you're buying something, the investment is quite substantial. And so people want help. And so what we've gone toward is just customers are the North Star. And so customer happiness is reflected in the number of deals we do successfully on our platform each quarter and each half year and each year. And so customer centricity is something that we require of our staff. And so we talk about being impact focused. When we talk about being impact focused, we talk about it being impact focused on behalf of what the customers want from us and from our platform. So that is the second thing that has been a core part of the Flipper journey and a core part of Flipper's change over the last five years under my leadership. The third thing. Really relates to the way we think about building our product and the speed and efficiency we put into that. And so that's about planning. And it's about a specific period of time around which we expect absolute focus. And so we do 10 week sprint cycles. And so two weeks planning, eight weeks execution, two weeks planning, eight weeks execution. And so that goes on for the entirety of a full calendar year where we come together for two weeks, we have discussions about the right decisions on behalf of our customers. We then put together the execution plans. We isolate the critical tasks which are required. And then we get into execution mode where the company is required to have absolute discipline around that eight-week period of time in getting those things out the door. And that is every department. That's not just a product and engineering function, that's across sales, marketing, finance, people, and culture, customer support and experience. And so that's the third thing that we've brought into the Flipper environment, which we think has made us a better company today than it was in the past.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And earlier you mentioned about that you're very decisive as a leader. And then now you mentioned about transparency. Can you share how your decision-making process looks like? Like how do you allow or listen to everybody and be transparent and while being still being decisive when required to?
1: Yep. So I think the, the first piece is being part of the customer experience and listening to your customers as frequently and as often as possible. And so I still talk to prospective customers as well as past customers. I would speak to minimum 15 customers a month, sometimes more than that. And as a function of that, you learn what their pain points are, what they like and don't like, and that's the first thing. As a function of that, you, you should develop a really strong gut feel for what is the right decision to make based on how many conversations you've had and all of the anecdotal evidence you have at your disposal to justify what you want to do next or what you think is the right thing to do next. And then of course, data. So at the end of the day, we know what buyers want because we have the data that shows us where they gravitate to. We know what sellers want because the number of discussions that happen on our platform give us a lot of insight into how they think about the next steps they might take through a negotiation with a prospective buyer. And on many occasions, it will reveal a feature set. For instance, we noticed that a lot of our customers were asking buyers to provide them with a LOI or a letter of intent. And so when you see that become a very common request and the data shows you that building that will enable the customers to go through a more fluent and less frictionful and more frictionless process. We then built a letter of intent builder. So at the end of the day, it's listen to your customers, develop a strong gut feel and use data to make informed decisions. And once you have a sense for the right decision, procrastination hurts speed. And so there's no benefit in that. So then you move into execution and you break down features and or opportunities into small bite-sized pieces such that you can understand whether you're on the right pathway. And once you figure out you're on the right pathway, that's the point at which you can invest big. But before then, you make quick decisions, you execute quickly and you just learn from the data.
0: Thank you for detailing that out. And as you're also growing in your organization as well, can you share some of the biggest challenges that you see both in the wider ecosystem, but also internally in the organization coming back to your Leadership, your role as a leader, how is that evolving as the organization grows?
1: Yeah, so we like to try to profile the right flipper employee by looking at our existing cultural DNA and the people within it who are having the most success with our environment. And that then informs the type of individual we try to bring into our business. Once we have that DNA, it's very much about Being really honest with prospective candidates and Flipper employees as to what the role entails and ensuring that expectations are really clear from day one. Once we get that, then it's about finding the talent and depending on the role that's more difficult and depending on the region, that's more difficult. So what we try to do is go after the type of people that we think are doing an equivalent role somewhere else extraordinarily well, and that hopefully gives you a fast start. Sometimes because marketplaces are so unique as business models, there's actually few people who have ever gone through the problem before and executed their way out of it. And so you have to therefore just find the most adaptable people. And so therefore we look for people who have a background and examples, case studies of proven adaptability and change, because we are a mass change environment. So if you don't like change, you're not going to like Flipper. And so we try to find people who are adaptable. And the next thing is just your recruitment process. And every job within Flipper does have a test of some sort. Sometimes that can be if you're a designer, redesign an email that we have to improve its efficiency, to improve its deliverability, to improve its click-through rates. If you're an engineer, that's a coding test. If you're a salesperson, we'll ask you to sell us something. Each role has a test. And then we have a process from ensuring that the line manager is endorsing multiple candidates for each role. And then finally, I will come in at the end from a cultural fit standpoint.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And what is it that you see as your biggest pinpoint or challenge right now?
1: Yeah, well, right now the macroeconomics aren't uh, so good. And so as a function of that, there is a subset of buyers who are less likely to buy than they may have been 12 and 24 months back. And so what we have to do is make sure that our matching algorithm gives us the best possible chance of matching a good quality business with, and what we define internally as an acquisition fit buyer. And so our biggest challenge is driving matching at scale and ensuring that by doing so, we can pinpoint the right buyers for the right assets. And so we work on that a lot. Mm. We're a marketplace. So we are nothing without a really strong way of winning prospects to our platform and converting those prospects into listings. And so we are building engines behind the scenes to give us an unfair advantage around that particular challenge. And that's our secret sauce. So each night we map the universe of online businesses, and that gives us a sense of the types of businesses that are out there, the types of businesses that are a good fit for Flipper, the types of businesses that are a good fit for the Flipper buyer base. And then we have a unique process around which we pitch and win those assets to our platform. And so we're a marketplace, it's about access, it's about liquidity. We're always fighting for a bigger pool of both buyers and sellers. And so we organize our strategy around either winning business owners or converting to
0: exit. Yeah. And given what you shared about change and also being okay with change. And given the macroeconomic scenario also, how do you manage your pressure or how do you manage that stress, which comes with change both for yourself and also for maybe key members of your leadership team?
1: So I think, I mean, the first thing is you can only control what you can control. We're actually selling more units, but the average transaction value of each unit is slightly contracted right now. And so what you have to do is control what you can control, which is... Matching buyers to assets and moving more assets through the platform because you can't control the transaction values. Because if your buyers aren't buying at a high value, they won't buy at a high value just because you tell them to. So part of it is just recognizing what you can control. The second part of it is managing your cost base. And people often shy away from that and get scared of that. But in reality, you either have fast growing revenue such that you have a pathway to profitability and you can absorb your existing cost base. Or you have slower growth in revenue such that you need to adjust your cost base such that you can protect your cash position and such that you can extend your runway. So we just have open and honest conversations about revenue and where revenue's at, the cost base and how the cost base looks as a percentage of revenue. And we look for team members that are able to process that level of transparency and can make informed decisions about uh, taking on the challenges and going through those next steps. Important thing is because we do eight-week cycles, we're quite adaptable and we're willing to make changes quickly to influence the direction of the company, be it the cost base or the revenue base.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I would like to ask, what do you measure, right? It, since you mentioned control, what you can control, and you're always going for an outcome, but the outcome is out of your control, right? So, do you yep. measure the like the process, do you measure the activity on the way and how do you connect it with the outcome or the result that you're seeking?
1: Yeah, so mostly it relates to the activity. Obviously, we need to have a revenue base of a certain amount and grow that because that's really the metric that matters and a measure of our success. But on a day-to-day basis, we look at listings launched and listings sold, which is business owners choosing to sell And business owners who successfully sell. And they're the measures we look at every day. How many launched? How many sold? How many launched? How many sold? How many launched? How many sold? sold. And you can control that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. On your personal leadership level, how do you manage stress? How do you manage with the change and the pressure when it becomes too much?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, part of it is get great people around you who can help you balance the stress and help you make quick decisions and celebrate journey versus the outcome because that's easier to do part of it is being the best you possibly can by remaining as healthy as you possibly can so i try to go for runs every morning that helps with getting your brain awake in the fastest possible period of time and getting yourself into a state where you feel like you're ready to compete part of it is the small wins so If it's about getting a feature live, that's what you celebrate versus something else, which is less out of your control. So I think it's more about trying to remove the outside noise and Mm. focusing all of your energy on the noise that you can generate to drive the behaviors you want out of your staff, as well as the activity you want out of your customer base.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think this is wonderful because you shared two things, which I really love. One is like going for a run or doing something physical to break out of that pattern or those stress patterns. But the second thing is also celebrating those small wins because that's how you build momentum because it's so easy to look at the nine things which are not done and not focus on the one thing which is actually being done very well. So thank thank you for adding that. What else forms a part of who you are, right? Can you share something else which maybe most people that work with you are not aware of?
1: I think there's probably a few things. One, as part of becoming a better person and a leader, I've tried to take up new things. And so I recently took up Mm golf, which I love, but I'm very bad at. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get better at that. And I try not to check my email or slack on the golf course. And so I'm trying to train myself not to do that. And I got through my first round of golf without checking Slack or email on the weekend. So that was a win. And the second thing is I absolutely love spending time with my wife and my daughter. So therefore I try to optimize for that time. And I try to do the best I can to remove the work distractions from the time when I'm with them. And they're probably the two things that I would say outside of work are my biggest focuses.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think something new, right? You mentioned golf. I think that must also be a very humbling element, right? Because many times when you're only doing what you're good at, it kinds of like takes you on a high, and maybe doing something new b- brings more empathy or brings more perspective to other people who might be struggling at what you are already good at.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And golf is a very humbling game. It's difficult to be good at, and I'm certainly facing that, but. It's a nice skill to try to get better at because it encourages yeah. patience.
0: Yeah. And coming to skills, if you could wake up tomorrow having any new ability or skin, what would you like that to be?
1: Yeah, that's a really good, a really good question. I mean, I think probably the skill that I think is most in demand right now is probably web development, uh, uh, software engineering, and that skill, I think, gives you an unfair advantage in a world where digital dominates and the ability to solve problems through software is obvious. And so that's one skill I don't have, but I respect the people in our organization that have it. So that would be the one I would identify with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how do you manage that? Because as a leader, you are responsible for everything and you obviously cannot have all these skills. So how do you manage those functions where maybe you are not the smartest person in the room? How do you still continue to be accountable? Because you have to be accountable and making sure that the quality is there and there are like good people in place.
1: Yeah. So it's just great people who want to work in the interests of what the company is trying to achieve. And that's the uh, every role, whether it be a skill I have or a skill I don't have, it's just great people who want to work in the interests of what your company is trying to achieve based on what your customers want to achieve. And so long as you can get the best people around you to do that, it doesn't matter whether you have the skills or not. All that matters is whether you can get them to row in the same direction. People are either on the boat or they're off the boat. And your job as a leader is to find the most people who want to be on the boat.
0: Yeah. And what advice would you give to somebody who is struggling with that dynamic? Because I see a lot of entrepreneurs or leaders struggling with their immediate leadership team, either having the right people in place or managing the dynamics of the relationship, the ego, the humility, especially when there are business pressures, there are targets to meet. And then there are also these like who is smarter or who knows the particular function best. How do you manage that? And what advice would you give to somebody else?
1: Yeah, I and mean, the first thing I would do is try to understand what your North Star metric is, and then I'd get absolutely everything, everyone around that, and then I'd ask the question, this is our North Star metric, how can you, with your skills, help us achieve this? And then try to find alignment and a connection between what the company needs to achieve and what that person is best at doing, and that is good team fit. If you can't find that, there are... A, obvious alternatives, but it tends to end up with that person not being in the right role or not being in the right organization. And so what I've found is probably the most important thing is trying to get everyone to understand exactly where the company's at, what the company needs to achieve, and then trying to get everyone to understand if you were in their shoes, what you think they might be able to contribute to help you get to where you want to get to. And find alignment. And if you can find alignment between what you think they could do and what you know they can do with what they want to do and how they can contribute best, you'll tend to move a bit faster and and all be on the same path.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I want to highlight the word that you use, alignment, compared to agreement, because I see a lot of people try to get agreement, which creates friction or which creates defensiveness. But alignment is something different. That can you get behind an idea? Rather than like you two people do not have to agree with everything and you can align even if you do not agree. So thank you for adding that. I think that's a wonderful piece of wisdom that you dropped here. As we end this, Blake, if anybody who is listening who wants to find out more about what you're doing or what Flippa is up to, what is the best way for them to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly check out our website, Flippa.com. As I said, we're really excited by our growth and our vision and purpose is to provide an exit and ownership opportunity for everyone. And we're really proud of that purpose and we're moving faster every day to provide more opportunities for entrepreneurs and investors all over the world to use our platform. So go and check out flip.com and see what it's all about. If you're looking to see me and my story, just go to, just find me on LinkedIn. That's the channel that I spend most of the time.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Blake, for everything that you shared, for sharing your story and your vision for the future. And I will make sure to include them website and your LinkedIn URL with the show notes. And as we end, I would like to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you.
1: Thank you so much, Samit. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Same here. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast, and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions this is what i do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.